1: How's it going, everybody? I hope you've been enjoying these lacrosse conversations as much as I have. For more content like this, check out these resources. A Lacrosse Weekend, my weekly blog, comes out on Saturdays. You can subscribe at jmfreeblog.com. 3 blogcom The jm Free Sports YouTube channel has been upgraded with a ton of great content. Please subscribe and check it out. I think you'll like it. And then last is the coaches Training Program, our most updated and cutting-edge content. All the principles-based lacrosse stuff, plus hundreds of webinars, endless drills, and a really cool office hours component that allows coaches to come on and interact, watch film, talk lacrosse, do Q&A. I think you'll really like it. Um, I hope you all have a great 2023, and so glad it's lacrosse season. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome John Raba to the Philacrosophy Podcast. John is the head coach at Wesleyan. He's been there for 27 years. We knew each other back in the day when I was at Yale, and he was just making that move. And um, also, the uh, 2018 national champion, Wesleyan, is uh, has turned into one of the finest programs in the country. And really excited to have you on the show, John. How you doing, man?
0: I'm doing great, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Love listening to podcasts. And I'm glad to be on today. Totally.
1: Um all right, let's kick this off with just a quick bio on your lacrosse journey where you grew up, how'd you got started um and um and on your way to Wesley and where you've been for a while?
0: Yeah, sure. yeah. so I started in a um, Long Island guy. I went to Farmerle High School. I played for Bob Harton Raft, who's a legendary coach. Uh, I think he's one of the the winningest high school coaches of all time. so I've got I was fortunate to be around a lot of great players in high school and um, you know, but I did have a, a path a little bit more towards football. like that was my kind of calling, I think, as a college athlete. and uh you know, went in that direction. I had a had a you know really great experience with lacrosse. um but you know, football was kind of the direction I think, in terms of our financial piece and it was more money involved and and yeah. just the a way a better way to kind of go to college for for less money, you know, so I found my way at to to University of New Haven, um which is again close to to Yale and and uh, so we, we we were you know really fortunate to to you know I play my four years at Wesleyan uh and then my senior year uh great coach at, at the time you know Tony Larico Tilo is just uh, uh asked me to kind of come out for the team knowing that I was done with my football career and he's like come on out and I think he just offered me like Toad's tickets or something like that to, to come <laughs> out I could do whatever you want and uh uh and you know came out had a great experience you know I, I was fortunate to, to lead the country in scoring that year uh, my first year out in '92, in uh, and then I stayed on as a graduate assistant for football because, again, that was the path I think I was heading towards yep. uh, in terms of a coaching piece. So uh, the coaches at the time were also very willing to to let me explore that extra year. So I played for a graduate year at University of New Haven as well. And uh, um, and and again, then just kind of went about my business in terms of you know I'm going to go the football route. You know, I, I stayed on as a graduate, finished up my graduate assistantship at at uh, New Haven. And then I went to Brown university, uh, with coach Whipple. Um, so a yeah. lot of my mentors are really football coaches. I'll be honest with you yeah. guys that i been exposed to a lot of guys in the NFL, which I'm really happy about. And, um, so did that, uh, after I spent the year with coach Barano, who is, uh, was the head football coach. He was, he was with the Miami dolphins and, you know, really interesting kind of guys and different, different philosophies and, and everything else. Uh, and then I would say, you know, um, You know, the football thing after Brown, I was there for about, um, you know, about a a year. Uh, We went to like kind of a football convention towards, you know, January, kind of came across this opportunity at Wesleyan to be, they're looking for a combination coach. This is big back then. Yeah, somebody someone who can coach football and lacrosse, right? And I really didn't have any, I was 25 years old at the time. So they said, you know, I I kind of went for the position really kind of just figuring, hey, like I, I played both and you know, and, and then fortunately was, the position was actually um, really kind of the, the football coach had a lot of saying who's going to get that position, you mm-hmm. know, so I became the head lacrosse coach. What certainly wasn't ready. The program wasn't, uh, you know, very good at, at the, the time. It was just, you know, they had a, a history of, of the struggles there. They've had everything would have one winning season every 10 years, you know, so I came in kind of blind to it and not really understanding it. So I learned a lot my first few years at Wesleyan, you know, I, again, I knew what I did know though is from the football piece is the recruiting. Like I knew how to recruit. I knew how to, where to go. I knew how to talk to kids. I knew you had to bring lots of kids up and through. Uh, and then slowly and surely we just started getting some pretty good players. And then four years after we we started the process here at Wesleyan, uh, you know, we were 18 and three, we were undefeated in the NESCAC, you know? And so we just, and from that point, really since 2000, you know, we've had a strong tradition of good Wesleyan lacrosse and has a lot to do with, again, players, you know, again, it wasn't my lacrosse knowledge at the time. It wasn't like I was an outstanding X's and O's guy or anything, but it was more about, I knew I started really knowing about the school and how to recruit it. And uh, so that's kind of how my journey became here to Wesleyan. And again, uh, I love this place. It's a great place to to be, um, you know, because again, I think the kids that come here are attracted to Wesleyan, you know, are here for the right reasons. I think lacrosse is really important to them. They're very self-disciplined, but it's also, you know, a place where, you know, you can do other things besides just be a lacrosse player. Uh, and I think that fits in well with my mentality as well as I want to be well rounded. I want, I, I want to do other things besides just coaching lacrosse. I wanted to coach youth football when my kids were little, I wanted to do other things and, and I'm able to do that at a place like And So again, it's been a great journey and great experience. And I'm still happy to be here and excited as ever.
1: Amazing. And when you become a head coach at such a young age, um, it's, it's really interesting because you, you didn't have like I had Mike Walwogel for eight years to kind of like learn from, which was an amazing blessing on, on for me. But at the same time, you had the blessing of having to figure it out yourself. And how did you do that? And who did you turn to along the way? Who are some of your key mentors in the sport of lacrosse or not in the sport of lacrosse that really helped you formulate you know, the way that you coach and the things that you do?
0: yeah I mean, I think there's a lot of people that were so willing early on, which is great. I just kind of th- I just kind of shut my mouth and just listened. You know, it wasn't like I was trying to like, you know reach out to coaches and stuff. I would try to go to different practices and and you know, I remember going to UMass my first couple of years and we just just watched their practices, take it all in. I didn't have a million questions. I was just kind of absorbing more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, my football it was again, the, it was a lot of the football guys or the ones I was kind of leaning on in terms of, of like how we should try to approach things um but also i would say the era of lacrosse was different then you know it, it, the kids weren't as highly like you know they weren't doing what they do now in the fall their preparation and stuff was definitely uh, a lot different from the way it is now so there was definitely that there wasn't that pressure that you know they as the sports elevate as the NESCAC got better throughout the years um, that wasn't really there for me then. And it was probably good. I was probably naive to some of that stuff. And it was, the pressure was probably just putting myself, I want to be successful. I want to try to get there. So so again, I think a lot of it was based on the people within the university that were working here. Like, how do you do things? And it was also, you know, it was just getting to know this coaches so because I wasn't in those lacrosse circles too long. I, there was a couple of people I relied on. Jack Kelly from New York Tech yep. was someone who was really great to me um, as a high school student. Um, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of good high school coaches that I really kind of relied. Buddy Krumenacker at Farmingdale, uh, was a guy that just from guidance standpoint that I just really felt like connected to, and I can call them and they were more fatherly to me in terms of their advice, you know? And, and so guys like that, I really just, you know, I took it and ran. And then, you know, coming into the league, I will say one guy that was really impactful is Aaron Quinn, you know, Aaron, Aaron, they were dominant at the time. Middlebury was yeah. the team, you know? Um, and they were, he was just such a, such a, I just loved his approach and his mannerism and his calmness and just the way he went about business. And I remember when we started making that jump to be a really good team. And I remember the first time being in a NESCAC championship and I was like so nervous. And, you know, I was like, wow, we're finally kind of getting to this moment. And and I remember Aaron saying like, you know, that as a young coach, it was the same thing for him. It's like, you know, you're so excited just to get there. It's like, you have to also be able to kind of move beyond that moment, right? You have to kind of get ready to take them to the net. And it took us a long time. I, I you know, when he said it at the time, I wasn't, too, I'm thinking, Oh, we'll be back here next year. Well, it took us another nine years before we won We actually won our first conference championship, you know? So he was right. Like it, it, it there was a lot of failures and stuff that kind of, that we were close, but we couldn't actually get over. um But I just love, you know, some of his guidance throughout the years. And, and, you know, Mike Daly was a young coach at the time in the league and just some good guys. I was kind of, developing with, you know, that we have really good relationships with.
1: Yeah. Do you remember that? um, Do you remember that talk at the uh, convention that Aaron Quinn did um, about the three on three games and the small sided play that he used to uh, employ to his players and make it fun and keep stats and make it competitive. And uh, I actually did that at Denver. Uh, This is what it was probably 2002. Right. Like 2003, 2001. I can't remember. It was way back. Um, but, um, it's just amazing how, you know, that's, that's really become my total philosophy on everything. Is just as much of that as possible. Um, did you have it, did that impact you along the way?
0: It did. I remember that talk as well. You know, like I said, I mean, I think everybody in the room was like so impressed with that talk. And, and, uh, again, it was a great, it really kind of just gave you, it was what you could do within the NESCAC too. right to make it enjoyable and fun and like free play kind of at the early stages and you know that's that's really at the core of it is just how many reps and how 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 we these guys can be so creative um and we again we we steal a lot of things you know and i'm very the one thing i will say is i am extremely open-minded uh to to a lot of different things and thoughts you know and probably too open-minded i have to kind of kind of dial it in sometimes too, because I'll start to like, I love it. I, I want to do everything. But the, the reality is you can only do so much. So um, but I do remember that talk. It was an awesome talk. And and uh, I think everyone just kind of took something away from that one for sure.
1: So many good ideas. So little time. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, hey, you guys have played zone defense for a long time. Uh, yep. How long and, and how did you get started on that? And how has it kind of evolved for you guys?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, it really it started with again like like I said Jack Kelly New York Tech oh, you know yeah. they were they were winning national championships back in the late nineties early two thousand um, it was a team that we would scrimmage every year you know we go down there and you know things were looking good on in practices and we're like the ball's moving we're flowing we're, we're getting shots and then we go down there and we run into like a buzzsaw we everything was kind of like very uh, we couldn't do much you know we were super frustrated but the thing that really I loved about his zone. And we still run to this day. It's really not a, it's not your typical five man zone where you're kind of just playing that guy hard and, you know, you're locking a crease guy off You're every, every, go, it's a six man zone. So the pressure is always kind of on the ball. Uh, and it's very, it's very fluid. You know, it's, it's very rotational. You know, you have a lot of, you know, there's gotta be a lot of pre-thought in terms of like the next, what's the next pass going to be where are the looks that they're going to see that, you know, us anticipating the next play, um, but I love the fact that they could really pressure and put you in bad situations, yeah. you know, and still have really, at the end of the day, have help to the right of you, have help to the left of you. If they want to go to the middle, there's still a guy inside. They're going to have to do it. Oh, if they want to jam it inside, we still can check down and make plays. They want to throw it through the D. We want to make, that's what we're training our guys to do is, how do we pick those at, alley passes off? How do we approach when they do get the ball through? Um, how do we give our goalies good shots? And how do we get offensive players uh, to you know to try to force them into the shots that our goalies want to see, you know. So things like that just really impressed me. But feeling, I mean, seeing it was one thing, but feeling it back then yeah. was, a, was a whole nother animal. And there's a reason why they went on a nice little tear. I think they've won five national championships in division two and they had some great players. And but one of the things I really remember is when the ball went to X, you know, they they sent this, they had this big transfer animal who was a division two player of the year a couple of years in a row. But they would literally just send that kid and they would lock the adjacents off. And they're still kind of zoning it up there. And they were just kind of in a triangle behind it. So that attackman has running for his life sideways. Or if he's running to the middle, now you're just feeling all this pressure with this kid all over you. So I just thought it was really unique. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, we've tried some of that through the years. We have different types of pressures. But it was something that caused a lot of turnovers. For, yeah. for us at the time and i'm like let's give it a shot you know we did that and that was the one thing that really helped us break through to be honest with you uh throughout the years and it, it takes a lot to, to do it um yeah, and it, it does yeah, it takes but, a lot of practice um totally totally
1: don't you run is kind it's it's kind of man-to-man-esque really i mean yes. it's zone but the way you, you shoot the, the crease guy behind and and can push out on the wings and flip-flop those guys when they carry and yeah. i think we talked a little bit about this but I had a really interesting experience with zone in 2003, which was actually the first year we won the GWLL the great Western lacrosse. So we, we, uh, lacrosse league. we we were actually tied um, with Ohio state and uh, Notre Dame. So it was a pretty typical tie there, but um, we had so many injuries to defensemen. We lost like five guys and we like literally had to start putting poles in the hands of shorties. And I was like, all right, we're, we're just going to have to play zone. And that was my real foray into learning zone. And we started off with your typical, you know, if you, if you sort of, uh, I usually count one, two, three across the top four, five, six across the bottom, just so that you can talk about where, do you, where you put the shorties. And we did, we put the shorties in the one and the three. So your typical up high wings and we locked I- the crease and we'd kind of learn how to do that same five man zone that you were talking about. And then, um, and we messed around with putting them in the four and the six and stuff like this. But then I started realizing, man, when they play in a one behind three, two, it's a real pain in the butt because now we've got our four and our six waiting to kind of see if who's going to play the ball. And we're they're, they're, all, they're basically lined up to our gaps, right? right? So i was like, well, why don't I just send the five guy behind and drop the two guy down and we'll just kind of play it like it's kind of like man to man. And, and then, you know what, if that guy dodges right-handed towards the six guy what, and they clear him through, why not just let the five guy become the six and let the six guy become, you know, the right. five and then push the, and so we just, you know, so I started experimenting with essentially, you know, this zone that you've been experimenting with for whatever, 20 something years. um And what I found too, that I want to share with listeners is super interesting. And I'm sure you've messed around with this too, is that it's hard to tell very hard to tell if you're in man and zone if you want to make it hard to tell. Right. So in other words, you can stay on a carry and flip flop with a clear through, and it looks exactly like man to man. Right. Or you can just zone it up, and you you know especially out top you know like they they can't really tell you so so you could basically fake zone by passing off a carry, and then and then being in man to man as soon as you want to be, or you can fake man to man. And the advantages, of course, is if you can get someone to run zone offense against your man-to-man, it's pretty good. I guess it's good right. to run, if they can run zone offense against anything, against anything you do. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, have you messed around with any of these sort of concepts of um, oh, basketball, yeah. stuff, basketball stuff that way?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, that's the biggest thing is like the illusion. Like I said, if you look at our, again, if you go back and look at our film from like 2018, we played Salisbury and it was a very veteran team. So that, that flexibility, like you just talked about where guys are rotating and carrying and you really can't tell that we're in zone. You wouldn't guess we're in a zone, right? You know, like usually like the first indicator for any team was like, Hey, look, if you want to find them in zone, just carry to a new area and just see what, right. you know, and here, if again, we're we're rotating, particularly when the ball's behind and we're rotating guys into different spots, very much like a zone. And that, that confusion is is the key because there's been also times where we are in man and they, they come out and they think we're in zone and we're just locked up now. We're just kind of matched up. And all of a sudden, you know, they're they at the end of a quarter they're trying to put it, you know, 10 seconds left. They have a little quick hitter and we're back, We're locked up and they're still thinking we're there. So then it takes them like a few seconds to kind of reorganize, you know, And the but that, so there's that piece that, but you're hundred percent right. It does take some time, the experience of it. I think we, we were getting really good at it to 2018, 19. We've just been doing it for years and years. And then COVID, you can see the difference mm-hmm. in our defenses after we've kind of lost a couple of years of not practicing it. You know, we had the, the two, whatever it was, three games that one year and 20. And then we had four games and 21. Kids were on campus, just the visual reps, all that stuff it was real. it was hard. Last year was like we're trying to get back to being good at, it, and we weren't as good. You know, we we didn't have the buy-in from all those guys in the experience, you know. So it was like yeah. if you if you don't buy into it, it doesn't matter if you're man or zone. There's hesitation, there's yeah. doubt, you know, there's all that. So we we're getting back slowly, but yeah, there's there's a lot to it
1: special uh special group that 2018 group and i i have to bring up my boy christian barker who i coached in high school he was a senior it was january i remember i was in florida at the old 3d blue chip camp and i called you up i was like man i got a pretty good uncommitted senior i i really think he could help you out and uh man so grat, so glad that uh that lefty came was a i think it was a multi-year all-american for you and just a great kid oh. hey?
0: unbelievable kid so thankful it was actually I was down at that Florida event saw you and I was asking about your son oh, that's right. yeah. yeah yeah and then I remember we were and you just brought his name up and you're like you know you were kind of like well he's going to Colorado you know and it's like <laughs> and so I'm like really so I'm like let me look into this kid I looked on the film and you said he's got all the skill levels he's played you know he's I know he's coached up by you we saw the film right away like oh Jesus yeah we, we got to get on this kid and the funny thing is our early decision won literally was like, it was like the third week in January. Like, I had one week to f- get this kid to apply to Wesleyan. He's never even heard of Wesleyan, You know what I'm saying? So I had to, like, convince Chris Honestly,
1: he had no, he'd never heard of it, really had no interest until right. I was like, dude, I, mean, I had to get you look in. into the school, you know? Um, yeah,
0: yeah, you were great, because you helped us land him, and he's he was four-year starter, yeah. played in the national championship team. He was a key guy, he has a great job now up in Boston. He's doing yep. phenomenal for our finance, you know, doing it in the finance world. Yep. Um, just Thank you. I appreciate that, man. So yeah,
1: absolutely, man.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: hey, we were talking before, um, and you said um that you had some interesting thoughts on how you kind of look at the year in the NESCAC at Wesleyan, um, from a team perspective, from a development perspective, even from a recruiting perspective. And I would love to hear about that.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think there's like a we kind of look at it like a four-part process for us throughout the course of the year. If we map it out and uh, because we're different, like in terms of we can't really work, work the players in the fall, like on the field. Um, so a lot of that, you know, as most coaches will tell you, that those develop those relationships you build are, are kind of on the field. You know, you start to kind of with them for two hours a day, five days a week. You know, over time you're just starting to kind of connect. So for us, we're a little li- we're limited in what we can do. So what we're trying to do in the fall is to make sure that how do we build those kind of meaningful relationships? Right. The, to me, it's all about relationships. Yep. Right. I want to make sure our guys feel really good about kind of their coach and our staff and like everything we do and that we're there for their best interest. And, you know, so, so a lot of what we're trying to do is making sure that, you know, um, you know, what it looks like to be a West, we're identifying those kind of key attributes of what's helped our team throughout the course of the years. Now, when you have success, like we've had throughout the years, it's a lot easier because you have all these upperclassmen now who are kind of helping you through and help, you know, manage that piece. But for us, the challenge to how do we kind of connect with these guys? So there's a lot of individual meetings, you know, and a lot of individual meetings, not really about lacrosse. It's about, you know, again, how are you doing? How's it going? How's your family? So there's like the different stages of our, our you know, for our seniors, for example, you know, when they come in and we meet with them, we're really like, hey, how's the job search going? Right. How are we doing there? What could, who could we call? What can we do to help you kind of plan that job? You know, and for the sophomores and juniors, it's just like, hey, what are those internships looking like now? Like, who, you know, where are their connections? I mean, the one valuable piece for any coach who's been doing it for a long time is you have a pretty long list of alums now who're willing to help. Yep. You know, and I'm like, I'm willing to use any resource I can and, and reach out to anybody I can on that list to help bridge those connections. So that's a big part of what we're doing in the fall. And then for the freshmen, it's just, you know, they're just kind of feeling college for the first time. You know, they a lot of these guys are from out West, you know, the Midwest, South, you know, and they're just trying to figure out like what the college life experience is like. And so we're trying to be a little fatherly to them too, you know, and put our arm around and make sure they're doing okay. Socially things are going well in class, you know, how they're kind of buying into the team. So a lot of our conversations is how that, that chemistry is starting to come together kind of organically within the team. Right. So that's that piece is a big piece. You know, we're also trying to develop our leadership at this point, I think naturally with the NESCAC, um, when you have a, you have to be kind of uh player driven in this league. If you're trying to, you know, if our players are trying to look for us to kind of give them guidance and every time they hit the field and do this and do that, like it doesn't work out that well, you know? So there's a lot of that development piece that we have to, you know, kind of let our guys, the, our upperclassmen know, like that needs to happen. So a lot of empowerment more than anything else. Like we don't pick our captains until like, that's probably two thirds into our fall season. Wow. You know, and we know you and you, were, we were grateful that you were able to work with our guys a little bit and talk to them about some of your concepts and thoughts and just leadership as a whole. Yeah. And I thought that was fantastic because I love when our guys can get some different ideas and you can see the empowerment we give. I'm very much like if we have someone good in place, we can get to talk to our guys. Like I'm okay. I want that to happen as a coach. Like I don't want to hear just my voice. You know, I'm very comfortable in my own skin in terms of and letting other people kind of, if I think that message is good and they should hear that, then we'll do that. Um, so um, it's interesting because I, I usually,
1: you know, spend a lot of time working with, with coaches. I, I do work with individual players a lot, but then I work a lot with coaches and to work with seniors a little bit on some zoom calls and just sort of give them some things to think about. I'd be like, Hey, you know, listen to this podcast or watch this webinar and let's talk about it. Um, and man, it was really cool because basically developing your leaders into not just leaders, but also coaches and to understand things like the constraints led approach and why free play is important and how to optimize and maximize, uh, optimize environments, maximize reps, stuff like that. Um, it, it, it was, uh, it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, they gained a lot out of it and they were, they were extremely thankful. It's, I think it's going to really help us this spring as we started getting our hands on our guys on, on Wednesday that they have a, a good core idea of some, some things our job is not to get in the way too much of it right it's just right. to kind of you know let, let them kind of like continue to do what they've been doing in the fall and, and obviously there's a lot of things you have to put in and start to game plan for you know as we get into the season but you know again I understand it's not going to happen in three weeks if that's when our first is it? we have a three and a half week period here to try to get everything you could possibly get in yeah uh, and it's impossible it's, it's yeah. just not going to happen so I'm fortunate that those conversations you had is gets them to think about some of the things they they can do to kind of you know have opportunities and what you know to, to have betting score better scoring opportunities and things they should be thinking about, but also just the leadership piece I think is yeah. is just key because if you don't have got your your they're not part of this process you, you don't do well in this league. You look at the better teams in our league; they're they're all kind of yeah. player driven. You know,
1: it's really amazing. I mean, you, I mean, I've done a few podcasts with a few different NESCAC guys, and it's. You talk about constraints, led approach where you're not, the coaches aren't allowed to coach. Well, guess what? The players coach and they become leaders. It's amazing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We become that. We're part of the issue. You know, like I said, we become part of the constraint, you know, like if we're out there, so it's really good for them and and, uh, gets them to open their minds and see things a little bit better. So, so I think that's, that's part of it, like the fall. So there's a lot of focus on that. I mean, obviously the other thing that I'm important to me as a coach is our strength program. Yeah. I, I believe in that. Like some coaches are more like, again, at least in the fall and then we'll transition to speed. You know, we'll start to make that transition through the winter to now, you know, we're doing all the feed the cats. We're doing a lot of that stuff now, which is cool. Um, but I'm, to me, I feel like our most physical teams when we are strong in the weight room, it be, because I think what it brings to you confidence wise. Yeah. So I just feel like when you put 10 to 15 pounds of muscle on a kid, I feel like they're a different player. Christian Barker is a great example of that. Yes. He was a kid who was 160 pounds or 65 pounds. You know, he, you know, he's 185 a year later. You know, it's like, all right, well, he's just a different player. Now he can absorb checks, he could do more. He's physical. It's like he's more durable. Like, so I we feel we that's an and that's also an area we could really focus on as coaches. Like we could say, all right, this is an area that we we know we could be good in this area. It just by effort and determination and stuff like that. So, so we focus on that. And then, so the part two of that would be, like you said, the winner piece for me. And it's really kind of from us defining expectations, what we kind of feel throughout what's, what's the roles of each player, right? Bringing guys in talking to them. And and some of it's interesting because I'm not out there with the guys, So it's more about some of their, you know their effort in their strength and conditioning tests. Where are you physically? You know, we get to see these guys kind of get their mental approach, but also want to manage those expectations in terms of it's really hard to get on the field here. There's so many good players. We have a big roster, you know, and it's really sometimes really tough when the kid's, a, you know, an all-American player, he's coming in here and he's not playing for the first year, you know, and he's trying to figure it out. What can I do to, And but also give them the hope, like you have to stay with it. There's so many great examples of guys who they come in, they're maybe the last man on the depth chart. And all of a sudden, they're, they're a key guy. And I, a great example of that is one of our players last year, Justin Hazard. I looked at our our postseason depth. We had co- we had practices last year with coaches. He was on our depth chart as our seventh slash eighth kind of midi, right? We have some injuries. Some guys get banged up. We want to move in Justin to it as an attackman. Well, he winds up having like 90 points, the kid. Wow. becomes an All-American. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what i'm saying like you never and literally the same congress like in december i had the depth chart and i'm like this is what i think now but the next six weeks are also going to give you some opportunities to prove yourself and then once you get those opportunities it's what you do what you do with them right so um so that piece is like making guys feel like they're still in the mix it's not like hey here's the depth chart for the year like there's going to be movement throughout the course of the year and there's going to be progression so that's that's so, a key piece yeah so
1: yeah. important for the athletes to know that can happen and for the coaches to remain open minded and to have coaches have to have buy-in too. You know, it's really hard because sometimes you just make a decision on somebody like oh, not good enough, up, oh, not fast enough, up, oh, not this, whatever. But what I've noticed with working with athletes over the years is just how much they can change and how much, you know, just the environment or the role or whatever, the, the, you know, the constraint around them allows them to be, you know, their, their best self.
0: Totally. So I totally agree with you, you know, and it's really something that we harp on all the time. And we let our guys know, like, you know, you have to be dialed in. There is there are guys last year, you know, we went to the, you know, the NCAAs, we had a good run there. Uh, but there's some guys in the beginning who weren't really playing a lot in the middle of the season. Even they started playing towards the end of the season. And now they're playing meaningful minutes in an NCAA quarterfinal game, you know, and, and stuff like that is just those examples happen all the time. And again, we're we're and that keeps kids dialed in. You know, if they know there's going to be that opportunity, we keep turning to people. And, you know, I think it's great and I think it, it keeps people engaged. Um, again, not being closed minded. Again, it's easy to do that based on like speed or strength, or he's got potentials, you know, it's like, it's, it's really like how they produce, you know, how they produce and how they can keep developing um, is, is really the key for us. So how good they are
1: as, as team players, right. As teammates and as just like being, being a great team player is both your attitude, but there's an aptitude for that too. The aptitude of just understanding, how to move the ball and how to play without the ball and how to communicate. And these things sometimes, you know, get overlooked because of the physical side of what we think you need to have or what we want to be able to do.
0: Exactly. Well, it's funny. There's a reason why when you look in the portal, you know, there's usually the end of the fall meetings with their coaches and the kids are getting a sense of like how it's going to be for the spring. Yeah. Why there's so many kids in the portal, like in November and December, like, because they're had those meetings, you know, and they, this is how I feel it's going to be. And there's not going to be an opportunity, you know? So, um, if we're, we try to just stay away from that piece, you know, and, and, uh, it's hard, but it's just, um, it's, it just, you know, you got to go piece individually through each one, but it's, that's an important piece.
1: You guys have such a short preseason. So you're starting on the, the, the eighth, right? Wednesday, is that we said, February. March. And then when you open yep. up, you open up on what, March 1st? Sunday? March
0: 4th. March 4th March. is the first so Saturday.
1: Weeks, basically. Yeah. How, how do you prioritize? you know, what to, what to get in, you know, in this stage of the preseason leading into the regular season. And how much do you just kind of like say, look, we're not going to have it all in, but we're, you know, maybe by the middle of March or towards the end of March, we should probably be dialed. But how do you sort of look at all that?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, we have a list of things we'd like to cover before the first game if possible. And we'll try to kind of, you know, get hit on each one of those to a degree again, and it's also the element of we like to play a lot. I am big believer in like our practices all end in a half an hour scrimmage, like you know, like I'll give up some extra individual time or some like, like we're gonna play the game. There's nothing like playing the game that's gonna give you the opportunities and situations. So we would try to make up when situations come up in these practices. That's a great time to kind of really hit it and focus, you know, and then and then move on quickly, you know. So I'm trying, to, and then we'll try to create situations. You know, on the fly, like, what would we do here? We'll, well, you know, we'll blow the whistle again, whatever whatever it is, you know, a minute left in the game, we're down two, you know, down one, whatever it is, we'll We'll, we'll try to get them in situations and, and see what they would naturally do. And then we'll try to like adjust it and say, this is what we kind of want to do here. So um, these guys have all played lacrosse too. They're all from pretty good programs. They have a pretty good understanding of the basics of it. So it's just kind of tweaking some small pieces, but that we we understand that like, not everything's going to get in. You know, it's not going to get in in the first three weeks. And it's going to be actually, we're going to be adding, we want to build that foundation early. That's what it is. Build that foundation so we can continue to add on to it, you know, as we go through each month.
1: When you do your full field scrimmaging every day, how often is it just like, let them play? How often is it to, that you create constraints within those maybe rules or like the scores or the situations that you're, you, you kind of mentioned a couple, but can you go into a little more detail on different stuff that you might do to try to elicit other adaptations or uh, other creative situations?
0: Yeah, I mean, we do those, we make, we, we kind of create those situations throughout our kind of small sided drills. And we also create those in the scrimmages all the, all the time. Like I said, it's, it's situation all the, if we can put them in, in different looks, different environments, um, you know, give them, give one team more advantage, you know, uh, things like that. Or maybe we'll just start with like clearing situations, 10 man rides to with a substitution, late subs, like all kinds of situations um, we're trying to create those and let them kind of feel it and see it um, again, instead of just trying to set it all up, it's just so much better that way. And, and even with our offense, like, it's hard for me to tell you what offense we're really are in. Cause to me, at the end of the day, you want to be in a basic set. But once the ball is flowing, you're playing. Like it doesn't matter after a couple of passes. Like the 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 shape of your offense shouldn't be looking very like it should be spaced and there's certain things you want to, you know, be positionally you want to be in. But the reality is you shouldn't be able to tell exactly what exactly we're in. So making sure that our defense kind of feels all that piece where it gets challenging for us as a team is because we're a zone team. Is we have to be willing to play a lot of man, right. <laughs> and ninety-five percent of the teams we play are all man teams. You know, so like we have to be like, all right, we're going to get pretty good in these situations, but we have to kind of scrape out that extra time for our zone looks and our zone o and stuff like that. And um, and the end of the day, like you know, it's it's those those are they're constantly uh, in a in a daily practice. We can set up fifteen different like situations that they might that's going to be difficult and they have to kind of figure out as they're going along and and within the you know the the, the group work and six on six on half field stuff or if it's within the scrimmage you know we're always going to put them in and not you know not just like line it up and let them go but it's just situational stuff first they will figure it out
1: what would you say like the the, the key principles of your offense are like the things that would run through every set and every offense? What are the things that you kind of focus on to make sure that, you know, it will be the, the, the keys to winning, playing winning lacrosse at Wesleyan offensively?
0: I mean, I think the biggest ball movement is really key. Possessing the ball is huge, right? You know, like making sure that you're taking care of it, but also, you know, the quality of shots, you know, shooting percentage, you know, like I know... Like we do, we, we want to be getting to the front of the cage. We do. We don't want to, we, we're staying away from those kind of lower angle shots or with a high school shot where you're coming down an alley, goalie's locked on a ball, like it's going the other way, you know, in those shots. So anytime we can kind of create situations where, you know, we're getting to the front of the cage or, or in assisted goals. I mean, last year we were number, number two in the country in assisted goals, like ball movement, you know, looking eyes up, you know, constantly giving guys, you know, um, you know, we want those types of goals. You know, so I wouldn't say it's more of a system more than, than it is like a philosophy of like, you know, the types of shots we want to get. We don't know when the shots are coming. It could be within the first 10 seconds of a possession. It could be at the end of a possession. Who the hell knows? You know, it's like the defense is going to dictate that, you know, and I just one of the things we'll say to our guys is like, hey, you're one sixth of the equation, right? Be the one sixth of the equation. Like, again, you're shot. And then one day you may have five goals. And there'll be another day we have none. And maybe you have a few assists or maybe you're, you know, hockey assist. Um, but the di- the defense will dictate that if we just, you know, again, we're running hard with the ball on our stick. You know, we're, we're getting the ball in and out of our stick. It's just, it's pretty basic from that standpoint, I would say in terms of our philosophy, but it w- it's not based on like one set. Cause I would tell you like 2017, we were a different offense. 18, we we're different. We had just different personnel yep. and we're trying to kind of build our offense based on that personnel. And that's why it's going to evolve through this first three weeks, chemistry, who's what guys are, who's playing with who, you know, all that matters, you know? So, um, and then I think once we get to a certain point, we're like, okay, this is what we are. You know, this is what we are as an offense. Like let's make sure we're trying to emphasize our real strengths. The guys who could really shoot the ball, the guys who can, let's get the ball in those sticks, like know your role on the team. Christian Barker was perfect in that situation. His midfield line, there was a super quick kid who was like an initiator I would say Christian was more of a facilitator yeah. and then we had one guy who was the absolute hammer you know he's just going to drop bombs like if and Christian would know his roles get him the ball <laughs> you yeah. know, as, as we went through and it was just it worked really well uh with what we were doing so I think that's that's a key element too is like you know having a good understanding of what you are as a player um and helping those guys identify those roles how much two-man game do you guys play Pretty good amount, yeah. I mean, we're doing we're doing a lot more work on on the two man game. Uh, we you know we started doing a lot of it last year. We, we felt a tremendous amount of benefits uh, from it. Um, you know, we're playing now with like the you know uh, the two man side and the three man look on the backside. We love that. We you know some of it's ba- going to be based on our personnel. Like I said, where I think we're having some guys who are coming back now so we'll see how they kind of continue to develop over the next month but you know i think we're built pretty well for the two-man game if you and the nice thing is if you just let our guys play that's what they're going to get into they're going to get into like some kind of pairs type look i mean yeah. just with all the high school stuff going on they feel really comfortable in that i love it and but i also want to have north south type looks too i feel like those are more like a little east west type looks, but you, I want a little bit at times, so we're going to want to kick the ball, get it through X, you know, really push it to the backside and, and and find those looks too. So we're going to build a couple different offenses and we're going to see what we get really good at here and and, and go from there.
1: Awesome. Back to the yearly schedule. Once you're in season and, uh, and how many league games are there? 10?
0: So it's 10, 10, league, ten games. league
1: games. And those are all played pretty much through the end of March and April. Is that how that works? I mean, like the game, this
0: is the, the, the season goes from March 4th to April 28th. Wow. 11 and a half. It's 11 and a half. It's such a fast season. And the problem is, like, you're going, you're going like, like you are moving, shot at a cannon, and then you're playing three games a week. So, again, injuries are key in our league. Like, we, you get a guy who has a hamstring pull and he's out for two weeks. Like, that's six games.
1: Wait, that's three crazy. games in a week, or you mean like three games in eight days? It's a Saturday, Wednesday, pretty much?
0: Saturday, Wednesday, yeah. Yeah. So, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, you know, in an eight-day yeah. period, you know. So, like, but that's, you know, again, it, that's so nice that's point. why, the, yeah, you got to have a lot of guys. I mean, I always believe in a lot of a lot of guys. So, um, and we'll use that depth early on and then hopefully get healthier and play more. But it, it goes quick. And if if you're not having a great season, your season's over And April 28th. It's crazy.
1: That is. You and Yeah. How do you all right? So how do you prepare um for like, you know, Tufts on Saturday and Bowen on Wednesday or whatever? And 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 how do you, you know, obviously you got sky reports, you can do your work, but how much do you try to like focus on yourself or focus on your opponent and or or maybe take the the main things that your opponent does and do them yourself so that you can practice, you know, kill two birds with one stone?
0: Yeah 100% that that's a great question because it's almost impossible <laughs> to to really fully scout and really go over all the things so the focus has to be on your own team right your strengths as a team you show them the basic looks usually what the way we break it up is say we have like um you know a Saturday game you know they're off on Sunday Monday we come in you know, we really focus on just us, and like our stuff. We're not, you know, we may have looked at some film. We show them some clips throughout the afternoon. But when we get to that practice, it's like, all right, let's start working on the things where, you know, emphasize the things that we're really good at. Let's try to get correct. Some of the things we're making mistakes at. And then really that next day, that Tuesday is very much, uh, all right, let's, you know, we're still kind of really looking at ourselves, but let's start to show them what the man up, you know, their man up looks look like, what their offense is looking like. You know, we try to simulate that to a degree. Um, It's tricky. It's definitely tricky because you can't cover everything. They're going to catch you with a little play, you know, here and there that you maybe didn't see. They ran in week one and you're playing them week seven um so there's just little things like that that you you just can't prepare for so uh, and that's the league and I think that's the beauty of the league to be honest with you and I think that's what beauty of division three because our guys look they don't want to sit on division one if you lose three weeks that's a month of losing (laughs) like you know (laughs) it's like you know you're like sitting on that thing waiting to get that next opportunity it's like for us it's like man we got to get ready in like two days here we got to get ready to play and like you can if you feel sorry for yourself, you're screwed. you know yeah, you, you, you gotta be able to kind of move on quickly and I think it's it's pretty cool. it makes it it makes a lot of fun i I like this model. I love it
1: in my first year at Denver, we didn't have very many players I think we were like had 20 guys or something like that. and so we we like literally had to scout what the other team did run that and that was what we just would run for the week right. we <laughs> could just run their <laughs> offense and their man up against them. Yeah, because like we did, you know, you got to prioritize the D, and we only had like five poles. So what are you going to do? You can't go, you know. You guys at least have enough to go two ends, so you can probably do a little bit of yourself and a little bit, you know, ones against twos, um, right? But how much rest do you give? Now you say you're playing a lot of guys, and you've got this weird, you know, sort of ramp up that's very quick. Um, how do you figure out how to give? Enough rest so that you can prioritize performance on game day?
0: Yeah. That's another great question. Um, particularly as the season goes on and guys start getting banged up, right? So we're definitely shortening our practices. We don't prep, you know, we'll make sure we're off the field in a two-hour span. You know, if we're if we're, you know, hey, we go out, we're honest, like if you know, we go out, we stretch for 15, you know, we we start doing just getting loosened up a little bit, that's like a half an hour. You know, it give, it really just kind of gives you like a good hour, 45, you know, hour and a half basically of, of work to kind of get in. Um, you know, there's so much that has to mentally go in. So we're trying to like figure out like how do we how much do we just kind of sit and listen and kind of like kind of go over some of the things we need to and compared to like the reps, you know, so I do like to do things on one side because I like to see everything. So I, like, again, our coaches who've been around for a long time, a lot of our coaches, too, they like kind of breaking us up a little bit too but I think that rest within the drills themselves yeah. is really really key mm-hmm. you know and I think it's okay that they're like hey you have a hard rep for you're going for the hard for 30 seconds then you're taking a two minute break and until your next rep and and I think there's just a lot of teaching that goes on there but it's built within practice um again if we want to go hard and fast you know Tony Holler says that all the time you gotta you gotta have a break in between too you can't yeah. expect it to go you can't be going 100 miles an hour like every minute, you know, it just doesn't That's
1: work. That and I yeah. used to really sort of just scoff at any practice I saw that didn't just have, you know, more cages going on. Right. Uh, until I really started thinking about prioritizing performance. And it's like, you know what? Hey, yeah, we could get more. We we, we, we could have four corners of one-on-ones on three different cages. Uh, and, and yes, you would get more reps. And there's probably a time of the year when you might want to do that. However, maybe it's in season and you want to give these guys, you know, only two or three really hard reps in that six or eight minute time frame. So it's really thoughtful. Um, And then as you sort of move into playoffs, um, how do you generally prepare yourself for the NESCAC um, and and into NCAA playoffs sort of mentally? and, And how do you kind of get a gauge of what your team
0: needs? Yeah. And certainly we start to really cut it back. I'll be honest with you. Practice instinctually, like as a young coach, I would want to go a little longer, a little harder and almost like, you know, you almost feel like you got to do more. And the reality is less, a lot less, you know, so if we're on the field for an hour and 15 minutes. That's 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 enough for us. You know, again, we we might do a film session, some mental session, like throughout the course of the day as well. Um, but on the field, it's going to be you'll see it's it's pretty short. And I think our guys really appreciate that. That's a model we've been doing for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, the other thing that's unique about the NESCAC is we have our back to back weekends. Our championship weekend is semifinals and finals. But then you're into the NCAs, and with Division three, we're in pods now. So you're going to go through the first two rounds. You're going to the first two next two rounds of games are going to be back to back. So we could potentially, if we go to a NESCAC championship, have three weekends of back to back games and then you get the one championship game at the end, which is very different. And it started last year. Mm-hmm. And so you need depth and you need your guys to be energy, full of energy uh, well, to try to win. That thing.
1: That's really hard. So do you, do you try to prepare for that or do you just sort of, you know, hope you get there and, and, and just be, be prepared by being able to play more more players?
0: Well, I mean, I think, you know, I think the other thing is you have to be willing to be able to, particularly on like the first game you're playing any of those days, is just be able to open up the bench. Like, so, for example, you know, we played, you know, like our first round, we played RPI last year. I mean, it was 32 guys could dress while 31 played in the game. That's a lot of guys. We had a good, we played well, you know, did enough, but just because we knew what we were in for the next day. So... Um, you know, the goalie was the only one that didn't play, the backup goalie, you know, so. um, But I think that's the way we're kind of approaching it right now is just trying to make sure that I don't think, because the problem, the only other way to do is just simulate that somewhere, but we can't. Yeah. You can't do it. You don't have time, right, exactly. We're just trying to get our guys, like, acclimated to playing lacrosse again and being physical, and then you know how practices go. The first week or so, it goes pretty well, then all of a sudden guys start getting banged up. Week two, guys are out, guys are getting, you know, they're tight, you know, so it's like we have to go through this whole process. So putting them in a situation where you're like, Hey, a Saturday Sunday situation. So we can feel that, uh, wouldn't really be ideal. Occasionally if we can get like into like the Mustang classic or something like that, you deal with that. I think it's good Mm -hmm. for the guys, but it's, it's one of those things that's hard to really simulate. I think you have to manage it through your, the number of players you play.
1: All right. Let's continue on this theme of, of, uh, of the year, but let's switch gears. Uh, and talk about recruiting. Sure. Um, you know what you're looking for, the sort of the timeline for the athletes. Um, if people are interested in Wesleyan. they'd probably love these insights on how you kind of how you view it, kind of players you're looking for. Maybe even dive into position by position a little bit after you kind of cover the timeline.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we're we're a little later than everybody else in terms of even the way our, our approach is, and we probably frustrate some coaches and club coaches because they're they're constantly calling us early. And letting us know about their juniors and stuff. And I'm, you know, we're always like, hey, look, we love this. We want to just see more. You know, we're not too committal. You know, we don't bring as many kids up as some schools may bring up for visits. Um we We want to really see that spring film, right? and and really see that extra that we want to see as close as we can to the finished product, right? And then we want to hopefully get on the road as soon as our season wraps up and see them again live in June and July. By then, most of the division one kids are vetted out, right? Cause everyone we like is still all the division one coaches like those guys. So we have to go through and we've, cause I've done it the other way too, like seven or eight years ago where we we're bringing all these kids through they're in the office. They're super excited. They're engaged. You're thinking we got a good shot. And then they commit somewhere else. So like, you know, cause there's division one school. So I'm like, let's just be patient. There's all, so many great kids out there. Um, and that's the good news. I think division three NESCAC, we can't offer until July 1st anyway. So we'll get them pre-read through admissions as you've probably heard before. And um, it gives those, I think it's like, Hey, if you're a high level player and you're, you have some pretty good grades, like, don't worry, there's going to be a pretty good spot for you in the NESCAC. And I just hear a lot of kids who are so like amped up and juiced up and they're, they're just so frustrated, but I'm like, you haven't even dealt with the NESCAC schools yet. There's, there's still a whole level of te- like 10 T te- there's a lot of kids every year that are coming into this league that we haven't even touched yet. You know? so so that piece is really good because again that's why i think the programs are all good and the uh the, the level of play is good in this league cuz all the evaluation stuff are on the on the closer to to the college age you know um yeah. so that's that's one piece and and then once the other thing is i'm not big into like reaching out to a million kids and just letting them know how much i love them like you know i'll, I'll advise kids like hey look you know like you'll know when we're we're really into you you know, I'm going to be calling you a lot then at that point. That means we're really going to, we're, we're making an effort here. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'd rather kind of be the guy that's kind of, you know, managing their expectations in terms of the recruiting piece and not kind of, you know, really kind of start talking to a million kids and let them know how much I love them. Then also drop them all. You know, I'd rather, you know, Hey, look, when that time comes, we're going to, we're going to reach out and let you know. And, and that's just, it's the way it is. And we've gotten a million great kids and I'm patient. And I'm going to hold spots for the fall. I'm going to hold spots till like Christian Barco was a good, good, that was January of his senior year. He's already going to another school, like yeah. Colorado. <laughs> you know, it's like, but I'm going to make sure I have spots available for kids like that. And we've gotten some unbelievable players because of our patience. And so I think that's it's really so helpful. Hard. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been good for us. How many um, slots do you get? So where it, it changes again, it's not, it's funny. Like with the number of, good student athletes that are just really qualified to come here. We're getting more and more of these academic kids who could just, just get in support them anymore. So that's why the number is pretty high up there. It's 55 on the roster right now. And, you know, we have to, if anything, we have to manage it a little bit better. We don't want it to go over 50, really over 50, but with COVID and stuff, graduate students, yeah, you know, so, so we're, you know, we, we are, the spots are almost like it, I can get my hands on a spot if I need it. It's just like, where are, we're getting enough good academic kids now which which is definitely making it a little bit easier in that regard where I probably 10 years ago if you asked me that question, I'd be bitching about admissions.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we don't get supported enough yeah, <laughs> you know? That's a good
1: position to be in yeah. but, um, so if you start thinking about what you're looking for, you know you play zone um what are you looking for in a goalie to begin with?
0: Yeah I mean goalie it's really just kind of goalies who you know can clean clean saves. You know, in that second, you know, if I can get guys who can kind of, you know, uh, make sure that, that the save, if, if we can just kind of, it's not just flapping all around. Like, you know, like I, I it drives me a little crazy when I start to see goalies just drop. They hit the deck every single time. Again, that's fine if you think they, you know, we, we can coach them up a little bit to stay big. But the reality is the, the ones who are just hitting the deck early, it's just like in college, they get lit up when they yeah. first get because Everyone's shooting high, particularly in this league. It's just It's low to high league, you know, it's like, just stay big. So that's one thing. It's like, I'd like to have like a little, it doesn't have size as a matter. It's just, just don't, don't guess low, right? Right off the bat, get down low when you see it, but, but don't get, guess low on that. And then obviously the ability to get it out. There's a reason why I think our zone is our, our clearing pattern. When we break out in our zone is pretty clean. We can get a good start a lot of times too, when there's a shot on one side and our other D is taking off going up that. And if we can get it out early, we're going to get a lot. Of, we got a lot of transition last year. 30% of our goals were based on trans, uh, just transitional goals. So, and it's off of our zone on a clean save a lot of times. So that, that's probably the biggest piece we're looking for uh, in and our goal.
1: All right. So you play zone. Um, but your 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 zone is, like we said, it's kind of man-to-man esque. You got to be able to guard the ball. Right. Like it's not you're not playing zone because you can't guard the ball. You're playing right. zone because you want to maybe get after the ball a little bit. Yeah. How do you recruit for that? How do you think about it?
0: Yeah. I mean, we want again, I think we sell it to our guys pretty well too when they come in, because that's one of the questions. I mean, I've got like all these kind of plaques, all American stuff, and a lot of them are defenders, you know, a lot of like a lot, all our national players of the year are defensive players. You know, like you, would you're like, wow, in a zone? Like, yeah, because it's like the guy on the ball could actually take some more chances. You could throw some checks. You can go out and you can, you can really try to be disruptive, you know, because you feel protected, probably more protected than you are, but that you feel pretty protected. So, I mean, we do like to have guys who are a little bit bigger, you know, so that the length definitely helps in zone because you sticks in alleys and stuff like that. But it's not a, it's not an end all be all, you know, like we'll, we'll, we'll have some different size guys, you know, on the field, but, you know, the reality is it's, it's, you know, anticipation, like good under, like basketball, it's great to have those guys who can open up and understand like passing lanes and like, you know, when it co- approaches, all that stuff is, is, is key. Um, but it's, I wouldn't say there's any one like cookie cutter way for Wesleyan. I think it's, it's different sizes. If we can, as we look at kids, sometimes we want a little bit more length. That's, that's not a bad thing either in what we're trying to do.
1: What about shorties, um, how important is it to have shorties that are really hard to get around on the corners in your zone?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's huge. We have a kid right now is a Cali- California kid who uh, he's a monster. He's 6'5", 235. He's a fifth year kid. He's got great feet. It's like, man, we can use it. We, we, we go man our zone. He is just tough to handle because he's just got so much athleticism and size. You have to work twice as hard. you know. And then we have on the other side, we have you know, a couple of twins that are just smaller and athletic kids who are going to feed off of that, you know, so where we put the guys positionally sometimes is based on where we think the shots are coming from. Right. So if we think there's a, we look at the, you know, our scouting reports and stuff, and we're like, Hey, look, most of their shots are coming from this top, right? Well, Nick, we're going to put you up there. And then we're going to leak out from the backside, you know, with our, with our twins and, you know, other transitional type middies, you know, so we do have there's more of those guys than we've ever had before in terms of the number of athletic kids who are willing to make that jump yeah. from defense to offense. And I'm never going to twist a wrong. We're only going to present the opportunity because you have to want to play that position. You have to buy in, I believe, if you right. if you're trying to sell it, it doesn't work. But if they buy in and they want to do it, and they're in the office. I'm like, all right, this kid, we just had a kid do it last week. And we're like, all right, this is fantastic. You know, so so that that makes a big difference, and uh, so I don't have to. Again, it's not like we'll recruit we'll recruit athletes, and some of them may it can go either way, and they're gonna determine which way it goes. They're gonna look at they're gonna be they're smart kids. They can kind of see the how it's gonna go for them.
1: So when you think about recruiting midis in attack, are you thinking about sort of positionless lacrosse, or do you have things you're looking for positions within positions um, of the midfield and attack?
0: yeah i think it's kind of positionalist i mean if, if we if some guys will have more abilities and could and do a little bit more there's some guys who are like hey he could definitely play early as a transitional type MIDI. and there's a little bit more guys who are just like we just need to develop this kid for a year with his just shooting mechanics and and just some of the things he's doing um where maybe they're more offensive they're not going to be a great defensive you can kind of see it too the willingness as they start to kind of get on the field and if like how quickly they want to get off the field in a scrimmage, you know, stuff like that. Where the guy who's a little bit more like okay with like kind of staying there and you know, so we're we're kind of positionalist. I wouldn't say that we're really focused on. We're we're looking for you know guys who you know are athletic, um, who can make pretty good decisions. You know, um, good skill level doesn't have to be unbelievable. Like there's got to be something there that we feel like we could work with. Coachable is to me, really huge to me you know, guys who feel like, are they going to buy into what we're saying? And and so we spell all this out in our meetings with them when they come in for recruiting visits and we spell out the expectations. We tell we're very upfront with, Hey, it's going to be really tough to play here your first year, regardless of how good you are. And I just go down the list of all these kids who were like players of the year and, and like, didn't really play their freshman year. Like, you have to understand, are you okay with that? Like, you know? And so that's good. I mean, this, again, there's some benefits here when you've been around for a long time. Cause I could, I have a lot of institutional knowledge on, on the way it's gone. If you stay patient, I promise you it will work out. How do you recruit IQ in a player? I mean, I think you could kind of see IQ in terms of decision-making. You know, like a lot of these camps and stuff we do, it's like you could see the kids who are already, like the anticipation levels uh, going up. I think there's a lot of things we could do to help develop IQ. Um, because sometimes IQ is... It's no at no fault of the kids themselves. Like there's some kids who instinctually get it. I get it, right? But our level, Division Three, I think we have to build it more, right? We have to kind of let them feel it out. Maybe they weren't the the fire starter. Maybe they weren't the top kid at like Manhasset High School, and they could do this. And then they had all this great like. Maybe there was the a third midfielder or a fourth midfielder on that team, and they didn't get as many reps. Or maybe, hey, our coach is saying, you know, you know, like I'll give you a good example. My son Jay, who's at St. John's, like you know. Their system, their coach is, you know, great guy. But he was just kind of had him on like one area. He was kind of a scorer on the pipe. Like, hey, we're going to get Jay to the ball here. He's going to be, sh-. but it's like the his game didn't develop as much because it was very like, this is what we do. This is all we do. Where in college, there's a lot more fluid, you know, we're a lot more fluid in what we're doing. You have to make more decisions. There's a lot more movement. Um, so we just kind of keep presenting these guys opportunities to kind of feel that out. And again, some of the stuff we do, like you said, with, you know, our constraint-led approach in terms of offense, like in situational stuff we're putting them in, they're starting to see that on a day-to-day basis. And that's really, really key for their development. And you start to see it after a year or so, they're going to start making those right decisions and stuff. And again, we've had millions of examples of those guys throughout the years, which is great. Um, as long as they buy in, you know, that that, that it's working, you know? So, so that's part of it. It's hard. I, I would say it's for me, it's like, you can kind of see good IQ, as a lacrosse coach, but it's, I think it's also developed at our level, um, to a good degree.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I personally think free play is the best way to develop IQ because like you said, it's these adaptations of doing different stuff. And if you play in these scenarios and you play a bunch of different little games, you just kind of learn how to play. You just, right. just learn how to play instead of always trying to do what you were told to do. Right. Right. And it doesn't mean what you were told to do wasn't right. It's just not always right, and right. and therefore you start you know you learn how to you learn how to think on your feet a little bit. And, and honestly, I feel like it it manifests itself in communication too, which is another way to identify IQ. Uh, not just the conversations that you might have off the field or on a recruiting call, but man, if you can see somebody um, communicating in real time, and we're not just talking about leadership, just pure you know trying to accomplish a task. Um, how often do you sort of look at that and, and value that?
0: Yeah, I mean, particularly off ball is like really, really I've seen that backside of both offensively and defensively, yeah. you know, paying attention to that. Again, there's a lot of pretty good communication, particularly on the defensive side on ball, but some of that off ball stuff gets lost, you know, off, offensively, like guys are starting to point and, you know, kind of give a little directive of, of where they should be or how where I'm going and that little communication. And it doesn't have to be a lot of verbiage, I feel like it could just be one little quick like word uh, to h- kind of help them get into good spots and what they're trying to do. And s- over time, like you said, and that's what's the beauty of the NESCAC is all this free play that happens in the off season. Um, it gets those guys in that position where they're, they're trying some different things out without the, you know, the coach being there, you know, like hold them back and say, don't do that. You know, or, you know, and, right. and I think that's really helps these guys a lot. That's helped a lot of our teams throughout the years, like really develop and, um, we're always surprised when we go out in the spring. We're like, "Wow, he's actually a lot better than we thought." Like from <laughs> when we saw him in high school, this is awesome. So, so really. yeah.
1: Last question on the recruiting topic before we wrap this up is: Where do kids go? Uh, where do you go? How do they get in front of you? Um, whether it be camps, prospect camps, club club teams, tournaments. Where, where, how do you guys How do you guys try to cover those bases of evaluation?
0: yeah uh so it's you know a time we go we hit some of the the prime time ones with our a couple of our coaches you know, we don't have a huge staff on the road, but we have a couple of guys who are you know out there um you know i I make it a, a you know we're gonna hit the island pretty hard um we're also gonna head down to Maryland, you know, the crab feast and you know we'll we'll hit those events you know down at the key times. Um, you know, there's some of the lax master stuff that I've been doing, I think have been good because they're high academic kids who are drawn to the Ivies and NESCACs, you know, we'll do some of those events. Um, we have our prospect days. We have one coming up in a couple of weeks here that we're excited about that. That's the best way to be honest with you. If you want to guarantee to get in front of a coach, you know, go to our prospect day. We always, I would say on our team, about of our 55 players, we probably saw 23 to 25 of those guys have been through prospect days you know, because it's a natural, like, hey, they're showing real, they, they really are interested in and So that's been really good and some really nice surprises. And usually those are the kids maybe from the, the you know, the West Coast that have made this trek to come out here or, or down Florida or Texas, you know, so I think it's, I give them a lot of credit because they come out and it's, a lot of times it's beneficial for them to do that because I would have known about them. And, it, and the tricky part is like, we all get it as coaches, we get a million emails. I mean, we just so many emails, the film and information and And it's hard to really tell because everyone's film actually looks pretty good, you know? So like trying to see them live is one key. So if we identify a kid, we like them, we do our best to make sure we see them play live at some point throughout the course of the summer, before we make that kind of official like offer to get them to admissions and what it looks like to be at Wesleyan. So I try, I try our best. doesn't always do that. Again, if I've got a a very reputable coach, Christian Barker, you're telling, and I'm like, then I see him on film. I'm like, okay. Like that's an easy one for me, you know, that happens too, luckily.
1: What, how many uh, prospect days do you guys hold uh,
0: per year? Uh, usually two. We'll do one right now before I see kind of our first game. Um, and then we'll do another one June. Uh, in the summer. We'll have one more. We possibly do a third, sometimes late. We'll do sometimes a late summer one, just to kind of last look type tournament, but we'll see how it goes with the class. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll usually add that one if if we feel like we might need it.
1: What, uh, where do people find your prospect is online?
0: Yeah. So if they go right to our webpage, you know, Wesleyan lacrosse uh, or Twitter, like it's where, we're, you know, they'll be able to see all the dates and stuff. We we put out also what what events we're going to be at. So I highly recommend it's just trying to make sure that, you know, you follow our coaching track. It's going to be quiet here. I'd be lying if I'd say it's going to be from the recruiting standpoint, not much is going to happen between now and whenever we finish up here. Um, But we'll certainly get information out and then, I would say the best time to kind of really get after us is as soon as you know coaches season's over, just start blasting them because we're in full- on recruiting mode at that point. So I'm excited to see films at that point and see kids. I'm not really interested in twenty fives right now. Again, I don't mind taking a look, but usually twenty fives are like kind of secondary. I'm really focused on trying to get this twenty four class now and and again, we have zero guys that are twenty fours right now, and we need to find 10 to fourteen of those guys by July.
1: <laughs> Don, this was an awesome uh, lacrosse conversation. I really appreciate you coming on and um, I wish you the best of luck here in 2023.
0: I appreciate it, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me on, man. You're awesome to work with and I love listening to your your shows.
1: Thanks, buddy. Really appreciate it. And um, let's keep in touch.
0: Sounds great. Thanks. Bye.